electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thank you so much. I'm Scott Wapner. Welcome to the Halftime Report. It's good to see you front and center this hour, the moment of truth for big tech and just maybe the markets. As we count down to earnings reports from Apple, Microsoft, and Alphabet, debate what's at stake for each company with our investment committee. And joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Joe Terranova, Tiffany McGee, John Najarian, all eyes, as you know, on the NASDAQ for the next few days as the biggest tech companies report their earnings. Joe Terranova, here we go. And just as we say at Alphabet, hitting a new high today ahead of the print. It's exciting after the bell today. It, it's exciting if you're a holder of Alphabet. And I look at the three stocks that I own that will be reporting today, Alphabet, Microsoft, and Apple. I'm most excited about Af Alphabet. I believe clearly that there is a lot of positive momentum as it relates to search and digital ads. And Deirdre just mentioned it before. We're beginning to see positive momentum build in cloud services. So Alphabet has been, since May of last year, outperforming the overall tech sector outperforming Apple, outperforming Microsoft. But understand, Scott, that's much different than what it's been experienced over the last five years. You've gotten over the last five years 250% in the XLK, 250% for Alphabet, but you've gotten 500% for Apple and 490% for Microsoft. So I'm focused on Alphabet. I think that's going to be the clear winner. I'm a little bit curious as to why we're seeing outperformance in Apple since June, is it the iPhone 12 cycle is stronger than people think? If that's true, then you're going to see mean reversion where Apple's going to outperform in the second half of the year. And I'm probably most skeptical, and I think the bar is highest for Microsoft. I've owned it for a long time. I'm not getting out. But you're seeing a little bit of a deceleration there in terms of revenue growth. You're going to get about 16%. Your best revenue growth is going to come from Facebook and Alphabet. Wow, Tiff. Okay, I'll come to you. I mean, you own Microsoft, you own Alphabet, you own Apple. You know, I'm thinking I'd do a double take when you look at Google's performance year to date. It's up 51.5%. Does it have the most riding on, on things tonight just simply because of that? I think what has the most riding on tonight is the NASDAQ and the S&P. So when you look at these three stocks, you know, uh, these three stocks make up about 30 percent of the NASDAQ and, and uh, about uh, over 16 percent of the S&P. So I think that those two indices will move. Uh, so if you are invested in uh, a passive strategy uh, related to those, um, you, you, you could see some movement. Individually, I like all of these for different reasons. I own them for different reasons. Uh, I think that each of them have potential um, you know, headwinds. Um, of course, with Apple, uh, with, uh, someone mentioned earlier that, you know, there, there may be some um, some um, production issues, um, you know, and and I don't think that 
any um, any uh, uh, bad news, if you will, on either of these stocks is going to significantly impact their growth over the course of the uh, you know um, the next few weeks. Of course, you guys know that I'm a long-term investor, so I'm not really paying attention that much or putting too much um, you know a too too much um, emphasis on uh, on what they do in terms of um, beating expectations. All I care about is the direction. I do expect Apple to um, definitely increase their sales as we kind of go back to school uh, and think about going back to school. And as we're in still in this kind of like work from everywhere, um, uh, I know Joe mentioned, um, you know, uh, uh, Google and I do expect ad sales to be to um, to uh, to be up. I hope that happens. I hope that gives it a little bit of a boost. Um, but either way, you know, I, I don't I'm not expecting anything epic from any of these three. OK, John and Jaron, you own Microsoft shares and calls. Now now I'm intrigued as to whether you think that Microsoft maybe is most at risk for what Joe talks about and some of the slowdown in what he sees in, in part of their business. No, I'm not, Scott. Um, I think Microsoft actually could be a bit of the outperformer here. Uh, we do have upside call speculation, I'll say it quickly, in Apple, but you always have that. Sometimes if people are worried, you do have uh, sort of a back and forth with calls and puts, but this time it's really all to the upside in Apple, all the way up to and through the 180 strike, Scott. But Microsoft has been outperforming, 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 and it has just kept hitting the levels of the upside call speculation that was out there earlier in the year. There aren't any more upside calls that people are speculating in for Microsoft. So um, if indeed, Scott, they're caught either flat-footed or they've been hedging uh, to an extreme in that stock, you could see that one pop more than the other two. Um, I'm not disagreeing with Tiffany and Joe that uh, Google or Alphabet has certainly uh, done fabulous with the, the words, um, with knowing what we watch from YouTube and so forth. Uh, so, but I don't know that they have a blow-away quarter. So of these three, which, I, as you said, I own all three, um, I'm thinking perhaps we get a little bit more of a surprise from Microsoft than from the other two. And I think that none of these are really as uh, at risk for anything that might come out today about uh, mask guidance and or a mask mandate. There's certainly a lot of stocks right now, Scott, that are being slammed because of the potential for a mask mandate. Those would be Vegas stocks. They're down 4 to 5 percent right now. We've got travel stocks like Delta and American and United all down 2 to 3 percent. Um, and I certainly hope we don't hear that or see that this afternoon, Scott. But there are people definitely, and that's why the market's down where it is, I believe, um, that are uh, afraid that if we do a mandate again, wow, we could see a lot of those reopened plays just get cracked. Steph, I mean, there is a lot riding on this, right? Now, Tiffany laid it out well in terms of the, the weighting that just these three stocks alone have in the S&P. Forget the NASDAQ. and It's 30% of the NASDAQ uh, are Apple, Microsoft, and Alphabet. For, for the S&P 500, it's 16.2%. I mean, that just raises the pressure a little bit more. And let us not forget, and I know I've, I've mentioned this the last couple of days as well, great earnings reports don't necessarily translate into great stock performance on the other side, as we witnessed last quarter and to some extent the one before. Yeah, so it's not just tonight that's important. It's the next couple of days because you have not only Apple and, and, and Microsoft and, and Alphabet, but you have Amazon and Facebook as well. 
And that's 24% of the S&P 500. Apple is a 6% weighting in the S&P 500. That's huge, right? So, but not only is it a big part of the market, but these have also been the leaders since mid-May in this rotation out of value into growth. And that, as you guys mentioned already, you know, Google is up uh, 55 percent. The G shares are up 55 percent. How are the, are the expectations too high? And I do think they are very high, given the outperformance, as I just mentioned. But there is no question in my mind the fundamentals will be strong. Digital advertising is recovering. Travel search is recovering. Cloud is still humming along. 5G just barely began. And retail e-commerce commerce is also in secular growth mode, and that's not going to change anytime soon. So all these companies over the next couple of days all will benefit uh, from a lot of these various different themes. But again, I mean, you, 60%, up, up 55% for Alphabet, to me, I'm, I'm a bit nervous. And look, I'm overweight the name. I do believe it's going to be strong. I do think that they're making, uh, they're making market share gains in cloud. Um, and that's very, very bullish. Digital advertising is on the men. Travel is 15% of search for them. So they have a lot of good fundamentals. It's just that, again, expectations are high. I think of the three names tonight, Apple is the lowest um, expectation name because, um, well, only it's up 12%, but iPhone build rates have actually been quite strong, and Macs and iPads are also very strong. But to really be a big believer in Apple for the long term, you have to believe the iPhone 13 is going to be a super cycle, and I just, I think that that's just unclear. And yeah, we've got China, which is 20% of total revenues, and we have to watch that as well. So yeah. to me, I own these. They're not big weightings at this point in time. Um, I think that, though, of, of these three, Apple has the, um, has, is the one that probably can do well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'd agree with you only in the sense, I mean, maybe I would disagree in the sense that Apple, yes, it's underperformed relative to the other big names that I, I've mentioned in the stock performance, but it's up a lot lately, right? So it's sort of ramped a little yep. bit more as we've gotten closer to the report. That in and of itself is something to keep your eye on. Yeah, but it's up 12%. I mean, Alphabet is up 55%. Microsoft's up 28%. No, but I'm talking about more recently. So, I, mean, I mean, more recently, yeah. right? Yeah, Apple, yeah, yeah. Well, Apple right. lagged no, all you're of right. those. They la it lagged those. But then recently, it's not only right. caught up in terms of near-term performance, it's outperformed over the last month or, all five or you know, right. close to that. All five of these names have rallied yeah. since mid-May. Just go back and look at the charts. And that is the rotation I was talking about, out of value into growth. Kind of interesting today you're seeing the reverse. Value is outperforming growth. Let's see if it has legs. Joe, who's likely to crush it tonight? What, what, I mean, you mentioned Microsoft you got your eye on. I've heard, you know, Alphabet, Steph's a little nervous. Who's going to crush it? Uh, I, I, you know, it, it's interesting because we're really guessing at something here where in, in the reality of it, I own these three names and I, I'm a long-term investor in all of them. I'm not getting out. But if you want to trade around the edges, I know John likes Microsoft. I said before, I think the expectations there are really high. But Apple is puzzling to me. Apple is up 20% from its June low. What, why is that? That's, that's, there's something fundamentally in the mix there that's going on. Now, Part of it could be, and I think you have to acknowledge this, uh, the Chinese crackdown on technology is clearly making mega cap technology domestically here in the United States more appealing. And I also think if you look at a lot of the meme stocks and look at where they posted their highs, both in terms of price and volume, it was in early June. So you're seeing a lot of flows of capital come out of those stocks into these mega cap technology stocks. So I think you have to brace yourself and be prepared for a tape that maybe looks a little bit like today where you see Tesla pulling down the S&P overall. 
But for a long-term investor, you're not getting out of these names because they're just giving you, Scott, that sustainable growth that's very difficult to find in the S&P 500 you. overall. I hear you, but right, as you said, uh, there are ways to trade around certain things as our next guest yeah. is doing. Uh, one of our own, Steve Weiss, joins us on the phone because he has put on some short-term trades right around earnings that we thought were pretty interesting and that all of you would want to know about. Uh, Weiss, thanks for calling in. You bought puts on Apple and Microsoft expiring by the end of the week. Why'd you do it? You're expecting some downside off the numbers? You know, I, I basically have no expectations, nor do I care about what any particular quarter does. But when there's an opportunity to either protect your capital or generate some return, and it can both be the same thing, I think you have to take advantage of it. So I was pricing out the puts, and John will appreciate this. Uh, I didn't want to sell calls in case they did go to the upside because all have strong fundamentals. Um, but, uh, you know, I, was, I looked at puts on actually all the bank stocks, including Amazon, including Facebook, and they were just too expensive. I found some cheap puts that are not that far out of the money on Apple and Microsoft, so I bought them. So if I'm wrong, stock moves up, great, I lose some of my upside. But if the stock gets a big hit, and we see that's possible with what happened with UPS today and other stocks, Mark's just very unforgiving because momentum players get in, as you pointed out, Scott, with Apple, in expectation of a great quarter, and if it doesn't materialize, they just hit the exit door really, really quickly. So I thought the risk-reward and the appropriate thing to do from risk management standpoint is take out some protection, which is why, as I mentioned last week, I had short the SMH. Right. And so that's giving me some hedging on my semis as well. And it's just that kind of market with all-time highs, with momentum in there, that you've got to take protection when it's appropriately priced. Stay, stay with me, Weiss. Uh, Doc, you want to grade the trade? Yeah, well, you know, Steve is a smart investor. And I say that, Scott, because he's already identified one of the rookie mistakes that people make. If they say that they want to uh, perhaps um, put on a position that makes money on the downside, some people will sell an upside call and say, oh, I get to keep the premium, which they do if the stock goes down. But on the contra to that, if it goes up, you lose multiples of what you stood to make because there is unlimited nearly upside risk in that trade. That's not what Steve's doing. He is buying a put option uh, that he thinks is cheap, and I agree with him, relatively cheap. Calls are trading about two to one versus puts. So the uh, overall street says that it'll be good, but um, buying a cheap put means he can only lose what he paid for the put. And unless he holds it all the way to Friday, which I don't think he's going to, if it whether it works or not, I think he'll trade out of it pretty quick. And I think that's the way a prudent investor should trade the market. Buy something when it's cheap and don't put yourself in a position to get uh, flushed out if the leverage is against you. Quick last word to you, Weiss, and I got to bounce. Yeah, I, I think it's, that, that's true. It's exactly what I did. I do occasionally sell calls, but not against events. Uh, if they've just run way too much, but it's isolated instances. Right. So thanks, John. Thanks for the great grade. <laughs> oh, yeah. thank you, Steve. Enjoy, nice it while, enjoy it while it lasts, Weiss. Enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> That's Steve Weiss yeah. calling us out. We appreciate that. We'll see you back on the show. Um, so, look, a, a lot of people do think that the, the next leg of the rally is hinging on what happens this week. Um, I think we can all may, maybe agree with part of that. That what happens uh, tonight and in subsequent days with these big tech stocks reporting is going to dictate a lot of what happens. What's interesting is that our latest Fed survey 
shows that investors think gains for stocks will be minimal for the remainder of the year. Our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman, is here with more. Hey, Steve, why do you think that is? Why did they say? Well, basically, they think it's uh, done for this year, but it's going to be better next year. Our respondents think that we've clocked the gains for uh, 2021. Uh, pretty pessimistic group, Scott, uh, but they, have, they think next year, 2022, holds more promise. Here are the numbers. Uh, mostly pessimistic group of 34 respondents to the Fed survey. I think the SB topped out at 44.11 this year. They see a 7% rise in 2022, though. 58% think stocks are overvalued relative to fundamentals. That's down from 72% in January. Now, next year's rise in stock prices comes along, by the way, with expectations for higher bond yields. So not necessarily a huge deterrent. Ten years seen rising from the current level of 124 to 165 by year end and 213 in 2022. That's higher than forecast at the beginning of the year, but hey, below the June estimate. So coming down a bit as to why the 10 years fall, it's got a big topic of debate, mostly a combination of technical and fundamental factors. But the Delta variant and lower growth expectations, they top the list. It's interesting. It always is uh, your survey, Steve. Thanks so much. That's Steve Leisman. For more on where stocks are likely Bye. heading from here, let's bring in our headliner today, Keith Banks, vice chairman at Bank of America and head of the Investment Solutions Group. It's good to see you again. Welcome back. Great to be here, Scott. Thank you. You heard what Steve said. People are uh, pessimistic. Are you? We're not. We're not pessimistic. We, we, had, we had said that when the, the S&P gets around that 4,400 level, which we expected it to achieve, and it has, that the market would get a little tired and you need some additional catalysts to get it higher. Um, we, we call it a kind of a grinded out market from here. Could it go higher? Will it go higher? We think it will. Um, you know, could it approach 4,600? Maybe on the high end, but what it's going to take is, you know, I think a continuation of what we're seeing, which, which is great earnings coming through. And your discussion just before obviously highlights the importance of that. But, you know, if you look at the companies that have reported to date, the numbers have been, been great. 85% um, have beat earnings, 83% uh, have beat revenues, and 73% have beat both. And so we're looking at numbers continually being raised higher. And the other thing that's interesting, Scott, is we essentially pulled the 2022 numbers into 2021. Originally, people were talking about 200, 205 for next year. That looks like it'll be this year's number. And then you can see numbers next year maybe as high as 220. I know Tom Lee was talking even higher numbers yesterday on your show. And I think as we go through the rest of this year and you begin to more fully discount 2022 earnings, that's what could help you drag the market higher from these levels. Yeah, Tom Lee's got 4,600 on the S&P. But, but you think we could legitimately do another 5% between now and the end of the year? I mean, given everything that's going on with, you know, the Fed's going to talk this week, Jackson Hole's around the corner, Delta variants out there and making people nervous, masks mandates or at least suggestions are being discussed again. Yeah, I think that would be the high end of a potential range upward. But if, if, you, if you step back and, and all that's going on, but I think the, the good news with that is it kind of flushes euphoria out of the market, right? One of the things you always worry about is the market getting euphoric. I don't think it is for the reasons you just cited. Uh, people are very focused on, you know, they're saying has, has the growth rate peak, peaked. We're not looking at the second derivative. We're more focused on the level of earnings growth. And the level of earnings growth is going to stay above average, we think, not only the rest of this year, but into next year. That's going to be a positive catalyst. The cost of capital is extremely low. We've got 300 basis point negative real rates right now at a time when the, econ the economy is going to grow 
over 10% in nominal terms. Companies are borrowing at very low rates, uh, and then they're, they're reinvesting. That, in turn, is helping earnings. Um, so there's, there's a number of factors that we think can balance out some of the concerns out there. As I said, if we go higher, we kind of grind it out. We've been, we've been articulating a, a strategy of balance, uh, and, the, and your conversation before really gets to it, right? So we've been saying it's not growth or value, it's growth and value. And what's interesting, if you look at the year-to-date total returns, they're almost exactly the same. I think the Russell 1000 growth is up 18.3, and the Russell 1000 value may be 17.5. So we're saying maintain a balance with respect to growth and value, balance across capitalization, and even balance from a geographic standpoint. This way you can absorb the, the yings and the yangs that are going to happen based upon near-term developments, which we see continuing throughout the rest of this year. But it sounds like as well you don't think that the good times, so to speak, are fully baked into this market yet. We don't think so. I mean, the, you know, last time I was on your show, Scott, we talked about the fact that it was kind of a boring answer, right? We thought, number one, the economy would continue to, to surprise on the upside. The only reason growth rates have come down. It's not because demand is waiting. It's because the demand is outstripping the ability to supply that demand. So that tells us the cycle gets elongated. So we still feel good about the economy overall. And the other part of the story, which we think is very much valid, is that the analysts have been playing catch up all the way through this. And after this series of earnings releases, we think they're going to raise numbers again and raise it right into 2022 with rates staying down, with the Fed probably not tapering until sometime in early next year and rates not rising until probably sometime in 2023. Again, not a not a rocket lift off from here, but a grind it out, move it higher into the end of this year. And then with some very robust numbers next year, hopefully that gives you some more uh, tailwinds to get the market going from there. I love Kramer's tweets of just literally minutes ago. Wow, bad day. Everyone thinks it's over. Think about the three-day pattern, sell-off pattern we, we keep having. Um, I didn't know that everything had suddenly gone wrong. Good to know, right? I mean, there's a lot of good stuff out there. And if you, if you, you know, believe what, say, a Dr. Gottlieb has to say, if you look at the data coming out of the U.K., which Tom Lee and others have cited, um, this scenario that you paint is not all that hard to envision, not too far down the road. And that, that's a great point, Scott. So that could be another catalyst. Um, you know, Tom Lee, you know, made some great points yesterday about the rollover, you know, the surge being 45 days in the U.K., 50 days uh, in India. If we do see a similar situation here, you know, that'll that'll be another, I think, positive catalyst. And let's keep in mind, we're seeing this kind of economic growth and these kinds of earnings without the U.S. economy or the global economies fully open yet. And, and think about, you know, what, an interesting number is the, the U.S. consumer has their their Net worth hit $137 trillion. That's up $25.6 trillion in the last 12 months, ending the first quarter. The, tip and, and, um, the typical growth in net worth is $5 trillion a year. So we're seeing enormous buying power in the form of not only pent-up savings, but also net worth is just going through the roof here. So, And since consumers represent 70% of our economy, you know, that's a pretty good sign that there's good wherewithal to sustain this. And that's the, the question. Can you elongate the, the cycle? Can you sustain the growth? And if so, if rates stay at reasonable levels, it feels like that's an environment where equities can go higher 
And that's why we're still overweight equities, certainly versus fixed income. We'll talk to you again soon. I always appreciate the conversation. Keith, you be well. Thank you, Scott. Great All to right, see that, you. That's Thanks. Keith Banks, Bank of America, joining us. Let's talk about some of the moves you guys are making before we go to break here. Tiffany, you have got plenty of them. Um, Delta Airlines is a new buy. Tell our viewers why. Uh, yeah, so a couple of reasons. So first, you know, um, they, they had uh, great earnings. Their management expects to be profitable in the third and the fourth quarter. Um, second, you know, their domestic leisure uh, travel has fully recovered. Uh, corporate volumes have doubled from March to June. Um, and like their loyalty segment really continues to outperform like their passenger revenue. Um, and they had a bit of a dip. Um, and so I bought it. OK, I guess you didn't need many more reasons than that. You you nope, bought more. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Very to the point. You bought more Peloton. <laughs> probably just to shut me I up did. about that. I know. You probably just did it because you knew you were coming I, back on. You're tired of me asking you about it. You're like, well, I'm gonna buy more. <laughs> no, I did it because they announced that deal with United Healthcare. And so right now Peloton has four million um, uh, streaming members. Uh, that just doubled with their deal with United Healthcare. And so in that deal, uh, 4.4 million around uh, United Healthcare uh, members are going to get access to Peloton's uh, streaming service. And so it just doubled overnight, right? So they're going to get it free for a year. And I have to believe that some of those people are going to continue after after that first year. But you get on me all the time, Scott, about Peloton being stay-at-home stock. And so here's why it's not, right? Um, I think that it, it has the ability to do whether both stay-at-home, hybrid, uh, and, and kind of back-to-the-world um, environments, right? And so when I look at the fact that this is really, really sticky revenue, right? So if you buy a bike or a tread, you're you're in right. You, you've got to you've got to um, buy the streaming service. But when I look at Peloton compared to like a traditional gym, right? So in a traditional gym membership, about sixty percent of their members um, they, they actually like like lose about sixty percent of of their uh, of their members. They've got like relatively low retention, but. Over 90% of Peloton subscribers keep their membership for over a year. So I think that, you know, again, with these, with the bike and the tread, um, it's really, really sticky revenue. But also, people are just buying the subscription to the service because they have much more than just, um, you know, uh, um, uh, bike workouts. You can do running workouts, all sorts of things. And that's what these members for United Healthcare are, are, uh, are going to get. Right. Um, right. And the other thing is, a lot of people think, like, one other thing, right? One quick thing. Gotta a lot be of people quick. think that, uh, you know, Peloton's, okay, so they were, they, they, they've actually put some things in place with, with um, kind of bringing down their price point and also their financing. 50% of the people who purchased uh, their bike last year, which, you know, is really, really, it's said to be expensive, made under $100,000 a year. So they were just putting measures in place, and I like it, so I bought more. Right. You spend $2,500 on a bike, you better keep your subscription for more than a year. I'm, I know, I'm just saying. I know, I yeah. know. All right. Tesla tops <laughs> targets, but shares are down. GE is higher on the back of its earnings. UPS, though, is getting whacked, as Steve Weiss said. How the investment committee is playing these names from here, we will check in and find out. And as a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. 
This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. I'm John Ford, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Hearings have begun in the House investigation of the January 6th insurrection. Democrats and Republicans on the panel say there is no room for partisanship in their probe. Do we hate our political adversaries more than we love our country and revere our Constitution? I pray that that is not the case. I pray that we all remember our children are watching as we carry out this solemn and sacred duty entrusted to us. Our children will know who stood for truth, and they will inherit the nation we hand to them, a republic if we can keep it. On the news, shocking testimony from Capitol Police officers and why Republican leaders say the probe is a sham. That's tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. And in Georgia, a man accused of killing eight people at Asian massage businesses has pleaded guilty in the first four of those shooting deaths. That plea deal avoids the death penalty. But Robert Aaron Long faces four more murder charges where a different prosecutor argues the killings are hate crimes, and she will seek Long's execution. And the Longhorns and Sooners have formally asked to join the Southeastern Conference. The Texas and Oklahoma schools have already ended media rights deals, binding them to the Big 12 until 2025. Scott, back to you. To Tesla we go and some of the earnings move. Dr. J, you have Tesla calls. Tesla beat. Shares, not so much today. What's going on? What do you do with the calls? Give us some details. Well, uh, the calls got flushed, Scott. Um, so that was something, you know, that I overstayed my welcome there. But as Pete told you yesterday, we also had, uh, for the last several days, big uh, downside put buys in Tesla. Now, initially, of course, the stock reacted with a positive move to that billion-dollar net sale number that they reported, but then quickly sold off. So the put side of the trade actually, at least in my case, offset some of the losses I took on my calls. Pete didn't have the calls. He just had the puts. So he pinged me during the show and said, it's good to be long puts in Tesla today. All right, down 3.5%. GE, all right, Stephanie Link, shares are off the high after the beat. What's your view here? It was a good quarter, good execution. Larry, Larry Culp is delivering for sure. Uh, the beat was be better than expected power, renewables, health care, but the orders were really great. 47% year-over-year growth in aviation, 63% in power, 11% in health care. So the visibility starts to improve going forward. Free cash flow is what this stock uh, it really trades on, and they raised free cash flow guidance, so that's good news, too. I am looking at shares of UPS right now. Tiffany. Tiffany McGee. Shares are down 8.5%. Yeah, 
You That's bought, why I bought more. <laughs> and I just bought it today. Yeah. So, you know, they, they beat on revenue expectations. Um, three and a half billion dollars when most people were expecting about 23.24 ish. Um, but they had a, a, you know, a jump in the revenue that they're making per package. And also their international business is really strong. So their deliveries did slow a bit. And so that's why, you know, I, I believe we're seeing the dip. So for me, it was a good opportunity to buy something that I love at oh, a good price. OK, um, we should also note and we didn't get a chance to mm -hmm. ask Steve Weiss about it because we focused on his uh, his big tech moves today, but he saw the pullback in shares of FedEx in sympathy with UPS, and he told us that mm -hmm. he bought some more stock yeah. and uh, he bought some calls as well. So he remains bullish on this space. All right, Steph, Stanley Black and Decker, mm -hmm. they beat shares down though. You own. This is why I call earnings season silly season. They beat, they raised, they had total revenue organic of 33 percent. Tools and storage grew 40 percent. Margins beat by 200 basis points across the board. So they raised guidance as well. So I, uh, I, this is definitely a buy, in my opinion. So um, that's what I'll be doing. Okay. Dr. J, Visa, you own calls. They report after the bell today. You optimistic going into that number? I am, Scott, um, because as we've heard from Moynihan and others uh, in the banking space, uh, the, the money that has come into a lot of the stimulus accounts directly, uh, direct deposit funds, um, those have only been spent to the tune of about 30 percent. In other words, there's still a lot in there. Now, we all know that uh, in all likelihood, a lot of it will be spent, or at least I believe, Scott, on credit cards. So I think that uh, Visa stands to benefit from that influx of capital uh, and the transaction volumes that are driving the likes of Target and Walmart, but it's way beyond that. I think this is a reason to own Visa right now, as well as MasterCard, but I don't own that one. Okay. Joe T., the man with the ETF. You own Starbucks. They report today as well. Kevin Johnson, the CEO, is going to be on Squawk on the Street tomorrow morning. What's his story going to be, do you think, post-earnings? Well, I think the story for Starbucks is going to be the same story when you look at the composition of global equity indices, right? You see the U.S. outperformance relative to the rest of the world, and that's going to be the story with Starbucks. The U.S., because of better COVID trends and reopening policies, is going to outperform the rest of the world. Digital ordering remains incredibly strong. We know that from Chipotle and from Domino's. Here's the problem with Starbucks that's going to kind of offset those positives. You are going to have some margin pressure. We know that Starbucks was one of the first to raise wages. But more recently, you have coffee prices, which have uh, rallied 30% on Brazilian drought and frost. Brazil, 40% of the world's supply of coffee comes there. That's the high-end beans that Starbucks is using. So I want to hear what they're going to talk about, how they're going to pass through that higher cost. But overall, I've been a long-term owner of Starbucks, uh, and I expect to continue that post-earnings. You own AMD, too. Give me something quick on that, because it's about to report oh, as well. Oh, uh, absolutely. And this is the quarter for AMD to get excited. Uh, I'm sure Jim Cramer is very excited. But it's now time for AMD to reverse the underperformance relative to the semis overall. Here is their chance. The expectations are low. I think the stock ultimately goes above 100 the Intel next-gen chip delay, that's going to benefit AMD. We're going to see a little bit of a return in demand for PC and gaming. I think this is the opportunity where 
AMD begins to outperform the other semis. All right, Lisa Sue, uh, interviewed by Jim and the gang on Squawk on the Street tomorrow as well. Another big interview on that program. Check out our mystery chart now. A stock that's up more than 20% in the past year, hitting another all-time high today. And now one firm on the street says it's the best idea they have, expecting shares to rally double digits from here. So we've made it our call of the day. We'll discuss next. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We are back with our mystery chart revealed, and it is McDonald's. The bullish call initiated by today, Guggenheim, 270 is the price target. The stock is up 14% so far this year. It's our call of the day. Stephanie Link, you own it. It's up nearly 1% today. Yeah, I bought it uh, about a month and a half ago, and stock's now up 14% year to date. I bought it because it had lagged everything in the restaurant space. So. It's caught up. Um, expectations are getting a little higher, but I do like what they're doing in terms of the menu simplification. Drive-through is humming along, and that should help sales. Delivery is now 75% of worldwide system sales, and they, they've made a, a bunch of digital enhancements as well. So that should help actually growth and margins. Of course, it does generate a lot of free cash flow, and it acts like a consumer staple. And it's a nice diversification to all the all the other beta that I own in my portfolio. All right, we appreciate that. Up next, John has unusual activity. And and we'll do that when we come back after this quick break. The Dr. J with unusual activity. What do you have for us today? Well, Scott, uh, I'm going to kick it off with Zenga today, Z-N-G-A. Why? Well, uh, they're going to be presenting at a couple conferences in the upcoming weeks. They've also got earnings next week, Scott. Um, the day before those or the day after those earnings, that's when these options expire. They expire August 6th, so next Friday, not this coming Friday. And they're buying the 1050 calls with the stock that had sold off this morning to just under $10. I already was long Zynga. I added to my position with some call spreads in here, and I really like the upside here, Scott. Like I say, this is even ahead of a big key bank conference that they'll be attending, I think, August 9th. Second one was EEM, um, the, the emerging markets and the FXI. And of course, China's a big part of emerging markets unless you strip that one out. But Emerging markets uh, have just been in a world of hurt, quite frankly. Um, a lot of it from the Delta variant um, and uh, economies just not getting on track yet. Uh, we're very close to a new 52-week low today. They're buying puts in here, Scott. The September 49 puts with the stock right around $50.50. They were buying those puts. I was already in EEM puts. I did also add in this one additional EEM puts further out in time, out in September. So I'll probably be in that trade for the next two months and the Zenga trade probably for about a week. I'm just curious, Doc, before we go, I, I want to get Joe's mm -hmm. input. 
uh, on emerging market trades, which you did have on at one point, not through the EEM, though, Joe. I'm, I'm wondering where you stand on that today. IEMG, uh, and, and that's the way to achieve the geographic balance that Keith Banks was talking about before, looking towards it and taking uh, advantage of the opportunity. But, Scott, you're right. There's been a significant underperformance really for every major global equity indice relative to the United States. Even uh, just the, this past month, the German DAX is basically down slightly. The Nikkei is down 2%. So it could pro ultimately provide an opportunity rebalancing from a longer-term investor. But from John's perspective, he might be right from a trading uh, view where there's going to be more near-term weakness for anything that is non-U.S. oriented. Yeah, I hear you. One month down about 9% for the IEMG. All right, Ask Halftime is next. You can send your questions by video. We'll play them on the air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. Got a question for the Halftime Investment Committee? If you want to send us a video, we could play it on air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. It is time to answer some of your questions. Joe Terranova, you are up first because Byron in Illinois wants to know about the biotechs, which he says they've been just destroyed over the past month. Do you see the carnage continuing or is it time to nibble? Well, he is correct. Uh, there's been a dramatic underperformance, and I do see the weakness persisting here throughout the summer. This is probably the biggest decline for biotech relative to the XLV and the S&P 500 since 2015. A lot of that, Scott, is on uncertainty surrounding the FDA and the FTC, and then small caps overall, the Russell, you're seeing there a distinct underperformance relative to large caps. So unfortunately, that weakness will persist uh, going forward here. All right, Stephanie Link, Lisa in Illinois. For Stephanie Link, I got into Corteva a while ago based on your recommendation. My average price is 25 bucks. I see you're out now. Why? Nice price. That's great. Um, I would absolutely hold on to it. And in fact, I sold it because I was up 100%. And in fact, I'm looking at it now that's corrected 14% from its highs, especially because the activist has pressured the CEO to step down, which only highlights to me what a bad job he was doing. And margins have a lot of upside. They're about 1,000 basis points behind their peers in seeds and crop chemicals. So absolutely hold on to this name. It's a quality company. Well, they're going to they're gonna fix the management team. And I want to get back in. All right, Tiff. Austin in Texas, do you like RH as a continued small cap winner? I do. So in retail, it's all about the experience, and RH does that very well. They also make beautiful furniture. They're also coming out with a couple new um, product designs, which they haven't done in two years. I like it. It is up 50% year to date, and in the past year, 129%. So I'm sticking. All right, but Doc. definitely think about your rebalancing strategy. All right, good stuff. Sorry for interrupting you there, stepping on your toes. Uh, Dr. J, lastly, Sabina, <laughs> Cincinnati, LVS, Las Vegas Sands. Hold or sell? Um, God, this one's so tough, Scott. I don't want to touch anything that's basically part of China right now. And obviously, Las Vegas Sands is that through Macau, Scott. They've also got the Delta variant, which, as we've already said, could cause more mask mandates or restrictions. So this is a, you know, a two-edged sword. I don't want to touch Las Vegas Sands right here. I'd play Vegas, 
but I don't want to play Vegas and Macau because you have no idea what's going on in China right so, now. So give me an alternative then. Play Vegas for me. Uh, if you want to play Vegas, then I would go MGM. Um, uh, more specifically, I guess, Scott Caesars. CZR would be my play in Vegas right now. All right. CZR. Stuff. All right, cool. Thank you for that. Final trades are next. Thank you. Miss the show? Don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast. Market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. All right, let's talk about some more earnings that are right on the horizon, and that is Boeing. Stephanie Link, they report tomorrow morning. You own the shares. Doc, I think you own the calls, but Stephanie Link, you first. Yeah, this stock has really lagged year to date. It's only up 3%. In the last year, it's only up 29%. I think expectations are low. It's not really about the quarter, Scott. It's about the 787 production issues. Do they give us any clarity there? It's about China recertification sometime in the second half of the year. Any clarity there? I bet we don't get that, though, tomorrow, but that's key to the stock. And, of course, how they're doing the 737 MAX and the recovery as well. Free cash flow is the stock like GE trades on free cash flow. So any guidance they can give us, they should be positive next year. Uh, in 2022, but any kind of visibility they can give us on that front, I think that's what's going to affect the stock. You don't think expectations are, are ratcheted up just because people are tired? Tired of hearing the bad stories come <laughs> out every week, Steph. You, you probably among them. Well, I mean, I've always owned this stock for the long term, though, right? I, I, this is like a GE story to me. And I own a couple of these in my portfolio. Not all of them are this way, but it's a restructuring story. You got to give it time to play out. But up only 3% year to date when industrials are up still mid-teens year to date. So it's lagged substantially. I think expectations are low enough. We'll have to see. Doc, you got calls, right? Yeah, but I've uh, overwritten them and they're deep. Both sides are deep in the money, Scott. Uh, the reason is that all the option activity we had either expired last week or expires this week. There's no upside speculation. The highest strike we had was the uh, 222.50s. So in other words, with all of these in the money, then um, I don't want to speculate thinking that I know more than the market. I want to follow the fast money and the smart money. So uh, right now I've got calls written against everything that I owned and it'll probably all go away on Friday. Speaking of Friday, Steph, Caterpillar reports, that's your final trade. That is my final trade. It's down 14% from its highs. I expect a strong quarter, both on revenues and margins. They have pricing power. They raise prices across the board on all their products in June, and they're going to generate sizable free cash flow. And I like the balance sheet improvements as well. So, I mean, I don't normally play into the quarter, but I do like the risk reward here. Okay. Tiffany, what's your final trade today? Netflix. So two words, gaming and runway. They announced, of course, last week that they're going to be getting into gaming. Um, and then in terms of runway, Scott, you know, penetration for streaming is 26 percent. And Netflix only has about 7 percent of that. And they've got about 800 to 900 million households to go to go. And they want to be in all of them. So okay. I support it. And it's down about a little over 2 percent right now. So all it's right. a good time to buy. All right. Thank you, Joe. We have positively mentioned McDonald's, Chipotle, and Domino's. Let's not forget Yum Brands, Y-U-M. All right. Dr. J, finally. Uh, Wendy's. Stock is up 10% since July 19th, and I think it's ready to sizzle, Scott. All right. The moral of this story, it's time to eat. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. 
can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.